service. We'll continue with the sermon. Again, the sermon is based on our reading, our gospel reading from Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. If you'd like to follow along online, for those in person, you can follow along in your worship folder. We'll begin with this prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. If you've been paying attention to the world around you, you have noticed that there is more than one reason to celebrate Easter. Culturally, there are reasons. Of course, when I think of culture, I just focus on, on food. A lot of people like to eat lamb today. There's other various dishes that perhaps you only enjoy as a family or traditionally uh, this one time of year. Of course, obviously then there are the candy obsessed among us uh, that look forward to this day and the little treasures that they will find uh, in the eggs. For some of us, uh, depending on our jobs, this time of year might mean the cash is going to come into the registers and you count on, you count on that for your livelihood and for your family. But of course, we all know that one group knows the true meaning of Easter. It's the dentists. Aside from Halloween, I'm pretty sure Easter rivals Christmas as the time of year where people consume the most candy, and therefore it is cavity season fast <laughs> approaching. So the dentists are eager for that. The Bible says there is one reason to celebrate Easter. And if we go back even before the day that Jesus rose from the dead, we see even in the Old Testament the same reason God's people giving thanks to God, the same reason we give thanks to God for Easter. In our Old Testament reading from Exodus chapter 15, Moses and the entire nation of Israel is celebrating. And we see why they are celebrating because of the song they sing. In that song we hear, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. Now there are more words to this song, more phrases. But even from those brief phrases, you see the reason that Israel is giving thanks to God. He rescued them from Pharaoh and his army from Egypt. They had just been freed. They were slaves. They had no army. They had no homeland. They were wandering. And a world power level army is after them. And God saved them by parting the waters of the Red Sea. And they walked through on dry ground, free and clear. They did not have to fight to be free. God collapsed the waters of the Red Sea over Pharaoh's army, the best of his officers, and they were gone. Not one Israelite died that day. Not one Israelite family had to wonder and worry, will my family member come back from war? Everyone survived because God fought for them. The reason then that they gave thanks, the reason they sang this song of praise is that God delivered them from a certain death to life. God gave life. On Easter morning, Jesus rose from the dead. We heard again in our gospel reading from Luke chapter 24. Jesus' resurrection is recorded as a fact. 
In the Greek language, which is the language of the New Testament, there is a verb tense. Verbs are action words. There's a verb tense called the perfect. When a verb is written in the perfect tense, it talks about an event that happened in the past. And the results of that event continue on through the present and are true day after day after day. They're true into the future. There are two words in these brief verses from Luke 24 that appear in the perfect tense. They're the words rolled away, which I know you're thinking, Pastor, that's two words. Well, in Greek, it's one. The other word, it happened, which again, yes, two words in English, one word in Greek. These are perfect tense words. These are things that happened. And it was true for the people that saw the events, and that would continue to be true into the future forever, day after day. The stone was rolled away in context. The stone was rolled away. This happened. The women got there this morning, and that huge stone they could never have moved was not blocking the entrance to the tomb. When they looked inside, there was no body. And that second term, it happened. In the context, this is when Peter had heard what had happened, ran to the tomb, being the impetuous Peter that he was, had to see what had happened. And he'd been down, looked in, and he saw the grave clothes laying there. But they were empty. There was no body inside. It happened. These are recorded facts. And not just those, but all the rest of the information that we hear in Luke 24, along with all of the testimonies that we get from the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, along with the rest of the New Testament books that all attest to Jesus rising from the dead. This is all recorded as fact. Guaranteed, done, unchangeable, finished, completed, verified. Jesus' resurrection occurred. Today we would call it something that's newsworthy, something that must be announced, shared, tweeted perhaps, posted, shared to a story or a reel or a highlight or a blog, a notification, a newspaper, a book, a magazine, a poster, a billboard, even children's stories, even medical journals would record this, somebody dead for three days and back. But the resurrection of Jesus is not just this undisputable, this historic, this heavily cross-reference fact. If it were only that, if it, were, if it were only this thing that perplexed those that saw it, or amazed those that saw it, perplexed them because someone had died and been buried and came back to life, amazed them, again, because someone had died and was buried and came back to life, if it was only that, just this fact, then it would have faded over time. As with many of the things in our world, things that perhaps at the time in history were incredible for the people of that day or may have shaped the world in that day, but over time it fades. Things that you often visit, great works of art, impressive buildings from the past, museums, battlefields, or other incredible things, that if you visit them, they may affect you. There may be a movement of your emotions. And that may stick with you for your life, but oftentimes even those great things that you see, they fade away and you often don't think of them. And of course, when you come back from seeing those great things and you share it with people, or people like it, 
on your Instagram feed. A lot of times they're just humoring you. They weren't there. They don't really care. It doesn't affect them because they didn't see it. Jesus' resurrection is not just a fact. It's not one of those things. Jesus' resurrection is not just something to be read or retweeted or something to be cut out of a newspaper or magazine and you post it on the fridge and it stays there and then it fades and then it gets dusty and you just crumple it up and you throw it away. It's not something to be deleted or canceled. It is not only an event from 2,000 years ago. It is not only a never-to-be-duplicated medical event, not only something that occurred independent of you and outside of the sphere of influence on your life. When Jesus' resurrection becomes that, a hashtag, or a catchphrase, or an interesting article, or something that you're excited for because you're going to eat lamb this time of year, or you get to look for eggs or candy, or you're hoping more cash comes into the register, or again, if you're hoping for lots of cavities, then you have missed the point. You have a problem if that's what the resurrection is. And that problem is death. The problem is your own death, your own mortality. The fact that someday you will be laid to rest in a tomb of some kind. You will die someday. It will happen. Jesus died, but Jesus rose. You will die, but Jesus' resurrection did something about death. Very early on Sunday, women who had followed Jesus, who loved him dearly, listened to his words, clung to him, had spices, and were ready to go to his tomb after Jesus had been quickly and hurriedly buried. They were going to bring him out properly, get him ready to be entombed forever. They trusted he was gone. They were ready that he was gone. Yet when they got to the tomb, again, the stone had been rolled away. His body was not there, and we read in Luke 24, When they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, of course, naturally, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why? He is not here. He is risen. Remember. Remember how he told you about this. He told you while he was with you in the city of Galilee. In the region of Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. This is going to happen. He must be crucified. And on the third day, be raised again. The angels reminded the women what Jesus had told them multiple times, that none of this was a surprise. And then the women went back and they told the remaining 11 disciples and the other followers what they had seen and heard. And we hear their reaction in Luke 24. They didn't believe the women. Their words seemed to them like nonsense. He's dead. We get that you're hurt, but he's gone. It's been three days. 
Peter, however, being Peter, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering, wondering to himself what had happened. The empty tomb had an effect on all who saw it and all who heard about it. Jesus' resurrection had an effect on the disciples, on the women that morning, on all the followers, because it was not just another random fact from history in a chaotic world. It was a very carefully planned event. There was a specific reason for Jesus' resurrection. We hear the reason in our New Testament reading from 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, again, according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter, to the Twelve, to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom were still living when this letter was written, though some had died. He appeared to James, the apostles, and He also appeared to Paul. All of these witnesses saw Jesus alive again. And the reason, the reason they saw him alive again is because Jesus had come to die for our sins and rise to assure us of our forgiveness. Because this is what Scripture said. This was always the plan. The Scriptures, the Word of God, the Bible, it prophesied, described, it promised, it recorded that Jesus would come to this world, die for our sins, and rise. Jesus rose from the dead, not because it would be this great historic event, but because of sin. He died and he rose because of sin. As I look around this room at all of you, and as I think about those watching online, I know many of the things that are going on in your life, not all, but many, the things that weigh down on you. I know the struggles, the disappointment, even the abuse. I know about visits to the doctor. I know about hospital stays. As I look around too, I know about many appointments with therapists and psychologists and even psychiatrists. As I look around, I know that there's, there's trying to do your best to live a good life at your job, at school, in sports. I know there's this pressure to keep up with your friends and your family and the status quo. I know that you work hard to accomplish your hopes and dreams by your own sweat and blood and tears and you work hard to have a good life for yourself and for your family. I know partially about these things. You know your individual things, all the things that are going on, the deep things that you probably don't share with anybody, the things only God knows. And it's too much for you. All those things weigh down heavily on you things that weigh you down, that make you feel like you're not good enough for the people around you, but also those things that you work hard at, the accomplishments that you pin up right, for your life to make you feel like you have 
reached that point that you need to, that you do belong in this world, that there is some reason for you to be alive, that you've done these things or you have these relationships, that you are accepted. The problem with all of this, whether you've been working hard in your life and you still feel you're not good enough, or you've been working hard and you feel, I'm pretty good. The problem with all of that is sin. Because no matter if you feel great about your life or if you feel rotten about your life, you will die. You will all die. I will die because of my sin. Sin is what causes us to die. Your life will be taken from you. You can't stop it. You will all have a tomb, a final resting place. And death is terrifying because you have no control over that. No control. Oftentimes we don't think about it because it's terrifying and we don't have control about it. But it is coming for all of us. Because of sin, we have no control over death until Jesus. Jesus rose from the grave. He rose from the dead. Death has no control over him. None. He controls death. He controls things when things die and when things come back to life. He is the giver of life. It comes from him as God. The event of the Israelites crossing through the Red Sea on dry ground, of God crushing a world power level army that was chasing them, and no Israelite had to fight or die. That God saved them by His grace from certain death. That is why the Israelites praised God in Exodus chapter 15, because God gave them life. That morning, when the women saw it, when some of the disciples saw it, that day when they saw Jesus back, the resurrection of Jesus had an effect on them. Not because they thought it was great that their friend or their teacher or the healer or the rabbi was back and they could hang out for a few more days. The resurrection had a profound effect on all who saw and heard about it because of the Savior Jesus. Because He is their Savior who had come to die and rise to forgive them for their sins. The resurrection of Jesus has a direct effect on each and every one of your lives. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. You are forgiven, period. There is nothing that you do that has not been forgiven. It's gone, forgotten, paid for. And that righteousness that God calls it, the good life, that you strive for, that you wish you had, you know you need and you feel guilty when you don't have it, that righteousness, holiness, perfection, worthiness, whatever you want to call it, a life with no sin, Jesus gave that to you, His own life. He gave it to you so that now you don't have to be afraid or curious or wondering what it will happen when you meet your Maker, when you meet God, because you are good. You are good as good as Jesus, because He gave you His own life. You are citizens of heaven, children of God, the one true God. 
the angel said to the women that first Easter morning, Remember, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And Paul, in our New Testament reading from 1 Corinthians 15, said, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. A term that is used often is the gospel. This is what it means. Your sins, death, punishment in hell is gone because of your Savior Jesus. He lived for you, He died for you, and He rose for you. That is the gospel. You have been saved. You are saved, and you will be with Him forever in heaven. If you've been paying attention to the world around you, people's lives, all the stuff on the internet and all the various screen sizes in your life, you know there's tons of different reasons to celebrate Easter. There's cultural reasons, there's the candy-obsessed reasons, there's the hopeful cash flow reasons, there's even the cavity reasons. But the Bible, Scripture, history, reality, is that there is only one reason to celebrate Easter God made it so that there would be one empty tomb so that you, when faced with your sins and when faced with death, would be confident that you are forgiven, that you will be resurrected. So, the reason to celebrate Easter is that there will be more than one empty tomb. Amen.